Amen. Uh, we are going through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, here at Connect Church. And my name is Terry Pierce. It's been a wonderful privilege to be in the lead pastor. We had a huge crowd in first service, and uh, we're balancing out. Love that. And uh, we're looking forward to God speaking into your lives. Here's what we've been learning to catch you up. Uh, we've got so many new faces that, that are here today in, uh, on our campus in both services. Welcome to Connect Church. By the way, uh, let all of our guests know how much we love them here at Connect Church. We love Seekers. Thank you guys. You've honored us for being here today. And, uh, and then we've got all these new, I think this morning in between the two services, I've seen at least half a dozen like newborns. Uh, and so, I mean, you guys, I don't know what's in the water, but anyway, there's a lot of new babies that are happening in our church. And we got good news for you. The deacon board, uh, Brother Davey authorized uh, the building committee to reform together. And so we're already drawing up plans of how to double uh, the nursery capacity. It's going to be a priority uh, of children's ministry wing. And so we're, we got that in the works. And, uh, and so you keep having bait. I don't know. I don't want to better say that. Anyway. I need to get a drink on that one before I say something I shouldn't. All right. Uh, anyway, so we are so thankful for what God is doing here. And uh, what we're teaching you guys through this sermon series uh, is that, I, and I believe this, the more that we learn how to become a disciple who follows Jesus, the more confident we are going to be and discover that God has a plan for your life. The more you fall in love with Jesus and follow him, the greater confidence grows in you that God has a specific plan for every single one of you. And that is so incredibly powerful in your life. And we're going to help you uh, sort of figure that out and unpack that today. And so let's get into it. I got a lot of ground to cover. And you know what that means, Lynn, when the preacher says that, we're going to be here all flipping day. Anyway, all right, so here we are. Got a lot of ground to cover in the text this morning. And so here's where we're at as uh, we get into this today. Uh, we're going to talk to you about that Jesus is both bold and broken. And I I'm going to sort of build like a lawyer case for you, if you will, about his boldness and his brokenness, and then we're going to see how the text amplifies this truth. So you ready? Here we go. All right, I want to make the case that Jesus was bold. Uh, despite what some of you all think about the Bible and who Jesus and the way you were raised, Jesus was extremely bold. And, uh, and here's the evidence. First of all, you ready? Jesus is God's son, part of the Holy Trinity. You tracking with me here this morning? God's son, Jesus boldly left the glory of heaven to come on this wretched, sin-cursed, dying planet, deal with you and deal with me, and he did it because he loved us. And if you don't understand that boldness and that glory, I'm telling you, you're wasting your time by being here because I'm telling you, that was a bold move. All right, can I get a witness? Thank God Almighty. Y'all ought to be, like, getting happy here. Um, Y'all ought to be acting Pentecostal at this point. I'm telling you, he left glory to come to us. That was an incredibly bold move that none of us would have ever done. And he came and he did it because he loved us. But there's other bold moves that Jesus made. In his very first miracle, he turned water at a wedding, blew everybody's mind into wine unless you're free will Baptist. And, and, and so he did all of these bold moves and miraculous things. And not only did he do those particular uh, situations, but he would literally, now this is really going to offend some of you all, but Jesus would look at the high priest and the Pharisees, and he would look him in the face, kind, gentle Jesus, and he would say to them, Tim, to their face, in mano a mano, you are nothing but dead men sepulchers. And I'm talking about they became so enraged they tried to kill him on the spot. It was an incredibly bold move that was culturally disrespectful, but Jesus was more worried about truth for the Father than he was on being nice 
He was bold. But you know what my favorite bold story of Jesus is? And I think it's because of the way I grew up. I grew up so legalistic that, you know, we weren't allowed to wear shorts. And if you can't wear shorts, it's sort of learn, hard to learn how to swim. And by the way, if you grew up in my day, old school, we didn't call it swimming in my church. I grew up old school. It was mixed bathing. And all the younger generations looking at me going, that's gross. And I know it was a stupid term, but uh, you couldn't say the word swim because you've been liberal. Uh, so we had mixed bathing and we weren't allowed to do it because we were better than you. I've uh, kind of church people. And anyway, and so I grew up with that kind of context. So I didn't learn how to swim. So one of my favorite bold moves of Jesus is he walks on water. And I'm like thinking, Neil, I got to wear two life jackets to get in the kiddie pool with my grandkids because, you know, I, I could die. And Jesus, not only does he walk on water, you're talking about a bold move, but he goes out in the middle of a storm to rescue his disciples and walks on water. What an ultimate bold move. But he was not just bold, he was also broken. And I know that doesn't make sense. And if we're doing a personality profile, if we're doing an Enneagram study this morning, we would go like, this just doesn't, one's not like the other, Sesame Street. Y'all track me? All right. Anyway, uh, and so, uh, <laughs> squirrels. All right. And so uh, Jesus was bold, but he was also broken. And again, making the evidential case for the argument is my favorite story of Jesus' brokenness is remember when the little children come around him and and again uh the disciples were thinking and if you've watched the chosen you know the rabbis were like lifted up and so the disciples were like you little rug rats you know you don't bother a rabbi because they're you know they're just better than all the rest of us and so the disciples are like get out of here you booger eating little kids and so you know uh and they're trying to usher them away that's in the original greek and, and so uh they're like trying to get the little kids away from jesus and Jesus, in his brokenness, in his humility, he says, stop it. Shut up, guys. Let the little children come to me. And by the way, just in case you're not getting this, which you're not, the only way you get to heaven is to be like these little rugrats that you're trying to run off because they just accept me for who I am. What a great lesson. Amen. And so Jesus modeled before us boldness and brokenness, and he, and he makes the case. And, uh, and, and by the way, Jesus understood about why he wanted children to come around him. Now hear me this morning, and, and because this is important, and it's not part of the sermon, but you can just have this free, no charge. Is Jesus understood something that we're just now sort of wrapping our minds around, and, and this is why American church has been failing and dying and, and literally closing the doors so much? Do you know that in this room, and this has been across time. Jesus knew this all along, and nothing's ever changed on this statistic. 75 to 80% of you, if you are saved in this church house this morning, 75 to 80% of you got saved when you were 18 or under. Let's sink in again. 80% of the American church today, or, or I'm sorry, across the board, around the world, 80% of believers today got saved under the age of 18. Now, James, you look at the way we've done church. What do we set up our business meetings? We don't talk about kids' ministry. We don't put any money into the kids' ministry. We wonder why the average American church, they don't have anybody sitting in their house today that is under the age of, th of 30. They're not adding on to their nursery because they don't care because I want my pew I want my fellowship dinner. I want my church my way. And there's no kids in the church. And Jesus was saying, if you want to reach the next generation, then put your money where your mouth is. And that's exactly what we're doing at Connect Church. We believe that if we're going to save this country, we've got to go after the kids. And we've got to disciple parents so they can reach their kids. And I've got great news for you all to tell you. God has been so at work Thank you for praying, but keep praying. Not only are we announcing today that we're hiring their nursery director, she will start next Sunday, but we're finalizing and closing out this week with the board and the staff and the leadership. And hopefully next Sunday, we're going to be able to announce 
that we have a candidate for the full-time children's ministry director that will come and meet you guys and interview uh, here at our church. Man, would you be praying with us that all of that finalizes this week and we can share with you. We've taken in over close to 20 interviews that I've done and uh, about 40 resumes, and so it's finally filtered through all of those channels that we're getting down to this. God is moving. Would you just pray for wisdom in his leadership to show us what to do? And what we're saying is we're working hard to invest the gospel in this generation so that we can share with them just like Jesus did. Jesus was broken by his motto. But my favorite story that, that summarizes the boldness of Jesus and the brokenness of Jesus is found in the story. And here's my last evidential piece that Jesus was bold and broken is when he comes to the family that is his best friends on planet Earth, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And you know the story. And one of his best friends has died. And Jesus has continued to minister. And now, as Karen Peck in New River would say, it's three days and too late. And I uh, saw their bus last night, by the way. Anyway, uh, coming back at midnight. And, uh, and so, this is my brain. And so, um, Jesus shows up late. And he's already been buried in the tomb. And by the way, just so y'all know, I'm not the only preacher that was late. Okay. Anyway, and so Jesus shows up late, and they got him buried in the tomb, and, and he's weeping because Mary and Martha, and you see, he's weeping and he's broken because he, it's not just because he lost his best friend, but Jesus is weeping because of you and I. You see, hear me this morning, God never desired for any of us to get sick. God never desired for any of us to die. That was never his design. The only reason we get sick and die is because of sin. It's because of the enemy. It's because we have disobeyed God. And, and so listen to me. When Jesus sees him dead in the tomb, he goes, I hate this. I hate the pain that the enemy causes. But Marie, his brokenness turns to boldness when he looks into that sepulcher and he says, Lazarus, you come forth. And a dead man comes out walking and is alive. Amen? Amen? And by the way, preaching old school learning here this morning a little bit, you understand this morning. Remember the old preachers used to preach on this? Here's what they said, and I love it, and it's good, because I'm telling you, if he had not just said Lazarus by name, every dead man and woman would have come out of the grave, because that's who our God is. And so this morning, we see the evidence that Jesus was both bold and broken. All right, you guys getting this? I'm not sure. So let me give you an illustration of bold and brokenness. Y'all, uh, <laughs> what do you think of when you think of bold and brokenness? Well, naturally what comes to mind is soap operas. <laughs> I've never seen Neil just give me that look. He was just like... Dude, I love you, but man, I'm not, I'm, I don't know. Man, I don't know where you came. Now, one of the mysteries, if you come to church here very long, and believe it or not, they've put up with me for 21 years, my mind works in mysterious ways. <laughs> Would you not agree? Would you not agree that it's hard to figure out how this brain does its thing? Yeah. And, uh, and so my mind, naturally, I'm thinking about bold in the sermon title, bold in, in brokenness. And so my, naturally, I go to soap operas, and naturally, I think of the bold and the... That's embarrassing that you all know that. Okay, all right. Uh, so I need about uh, 50 of you all to hit the altar that you knew the name of this soap opera. So we have a picture of the bold and the beautiful soap opera. They're up on the scene, screen here. And so they're celebrating. They've been in existence for since 1987. And so uh, here's the, and so, uh, well, let me just read you their story. So I got curious about, you know, how do I illustrate, you know, the comparison of Jesus just, just track with me, okay? All right, and we're going we're to bring it around, I promise you. So I did Wikipedia. Now, here's the story of the bold and beautiful. Now, we're going to compare this with Jesus and just say it. So here's what their synopsis is. Uh, and by the way, don't y'all judge me. If you grew up and you were a woman and you lived through the 60s, through the 90s, uh, here was your morning routine. I'm going to get so much trouble. You got up in the morning, you got the kids off to school, got the regrets on the road, and then you got your cup of coffee, you sit down and you watch Bob Barker, Price is Right, and then for the next 18 hours you watch. All right, anyway, sorry. 
Okay, now I'm going to get fired. All right, so here's the story of Wikipedia, Bold and the Beautiful. Brooke becomes a key element in the series. She has a love affair with Ridge, who sets up much of the storyline, and that's loosely termed. Beginning the first year of their aforementioned wedding of the year fashion world was called off, oh, what a shocker, when Ridge was caught cheating on Caroline with an old flame. Bless his heart. Every so often, Ridge and Brooke would reunite only to break up because of circumstances, and Ridge invariably would find himself in the arm with his former lover, Taylor Hayes. Following one of their breakups for the 37th time that you all have been watching, Ridge, with Ridge, Brooke then marries Ridge's father, Eric. It gets really freaky weird here. Who divorces his long-life wife, Stephanie. So Brooke then gives birth to two of Eric's children. So therefore, Ridge now has with his former wife, brothers, <laughs> with her I think we should call it the bold and stupid, okay? Are you with me this morning? And so what I said all that to say that with is, in all honesty, is that you and I are busy living our lives, and we're trying to find this sort of place and where we fit in at, and unfortunately, we're comparing ourselves and trying to live a bold and beautiful life because that's what the American dream tells you to do. And I'm telling you this morning, you compare what I just described with Jesus when Jesus was bold and broken, it just doesn't compute in your American concept of a happy family. I'm telling you this morning, Jesus is offering you something better than what the world is offering you. And what we're going to see in the text today, and here in Luke chapter 13, and this is what we're talking to you guys about, is understanding this morning that Jesus is both bold and broken. In Luke chapter 13, turn your Bibles to that reference, and what we're going to see in the text this morning is that Jesus is going to, is Dr. Luke, I'm sorry, is going to illustrate to us the life of Jesus, both his boldness and his brokenness, and what he's going to say into you and I, God's plan for your life and mine, is to model and learn how to be bold and broken like Jesus, because Jesus is going to introduce to us in Luke 13, the kingdom of God. And Jesus is going to say the kingdom of my father is coming and I don't want the church to just sit on the sidelines while people die and go to hell. What I need you to do is engage in the kingdom and I need you to engage with boldness and brokenness for the sake of the kingdom. Does that make sense? So that's where we take up. This is a lengthy passage this morning. Y'all have been so gracious in setting. Uh, would you stand with me as we honor the word of God this morning? And, um, as I read through it, Luke chapter uh, 13. If you don't have your Bibles with you, just look at the screens. And here we go. He went on his way through the towns and villages and teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And someone said unto him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? A great question. And he said unto them, and I want you to circle the word stride because that's where we're going to land a lot on here this morning, to enter through the narrow door. And we've heard some of this if you've been in preaching. We're going to define for you what that narrow door, that old school term we've heard, we're going to define for you what that means. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, but we ate and drank in your presence, and we taught, you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves are cast out. And we're going to finish the message with that. And the people will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south. And what he's referring to, because I don't have time to get into this, is the fact that the Jewish 
people are rejecting him and they're going to crucify him. And he's talking about the Gentiles will come from everywhere and recline at the table of kingdom of God. So when he means, when he says, and the last will be first, as he said, you all have thought yourselves as being first because you're the Jewish people. One day the Gentiles will be moved up. That's what he means. And then verse 31, at the very hour, some of the Pharisees came to him and said, but get away from here. And, and I don't have time again to get into this part of the text because what they were doing is they were basically just saying they, they didn't care about his safety. They wanted him away from the average Jew because they were afraid of them following him. So they're lying out there teeth. And he said unto them, go and tell the fox. He's talking about Herod. Again, notice Jesus was rude, but he had a point to make here. He says, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow on the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Now we see the brokenness. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophet's and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. Oh, wow. And you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You may be seated. Luke shifts uh, the attention of his readers to the fact that Jesus is now traveling towards Jerusalem. We are now coming to a climax in the story of Jesus, and that will happen in these next uh, about eight chapters that'll take us about six more years to get through. And as Jesus is now gathering before he enters into Jerusalem, you know, Easter's coming. We're going to tell you all about that next week, by the way. You don't want to miss that. Love never fails. And so all that's coming to you next Sunday. But anyway, as they gather up, and so before Jesus rides in on the donkey and they have uh, the Palm Sunday and the celebration, and something interesting happens here. Anybody in here from a small town? All right, all right, you need to raise your hands because I know y'all. And, uh, and so Jesus doesn't just go to the big cities. Jesus, notice in the text, he says that he travels to these villages. So I want to put it in the vernacular that you and I can understand. So Jesus, and I think this is important, he doesn't just go because he's trying, you know, what we would do, what would we do if we were trying to put on a show? We would go to the big stage. We would want to have all the big crowds. Jesus didn't do that. The scriptures specifically say he went into small villages because he cared about every man and woman. So here's the vernacular. If he were in our day and time, he would show up and he would visit and he would go and start endorsing. He'd make his way around uh, to Guntown and, and he would, you know, uh, travel back through Sherman and, and he would even hit Algoma and probably eat supper. And, and then he would make his way on around to Shannon and, and, uh, and finally wind up in Wren. And so we've got, and, and if you know any of those towns, you got to be from there. And we got all of those towns I mentioned, church folks that come here every Sunday. And so the the 15 people that live in Wren, and 10 of them go to our church. And so, oh, Stanley, Ostrowski, he stands up and he goes, hey, I got a question. And so everybody in Wren, all 11 of them, and uh, Stanley asked Jesus a question in the village, and, and it was a great question. He says, are there going to be a lot of people in heaven are there just going to be a few? And um, as he asked the question, Doctor, and he, what he was doing is he was setting the case and saying, listen, I want to know, you know, what's really most important. Here's what Dr. Danny Aiken says about this question. He says, we need to be rescued. And, and this is defining this man in this small village's question theologically. He says, we need to be rescued from God's judgment against sinners. And we need to be kept for God's love and fellowship. And this is an important question because he's asking the question and he's saying, you know, what I really want you all to figure out is, um, Jesus, how do we get to heaven? And what Jesus is going to do, and I want you to get your notes out because I'm going to real quickly give you this morning three theological doctrines, if you will, and, and, and they're just straight out of the Bible. And Jesus is going to define for you and I 
And literally, hear me this morning, please hear me. Because this may mean the difference between you spending eternity in heaven or hell. Jesus will tell us three doctrines this morning about how you and I can go to heaven. Are you ready? Number one, as he says, uh, as he answers the man's question, you need to strive to enter through the right door. Basically, Jesus is saying to this Jewish man, and, and, and now here's what commentators say about the text. And, and, and again, we don't, when we read through this, we probably don't catch this, but here's what was really going on in the dude's mind. This guy is asking from a pretentious position. He's like some of you that go to church here. He is a little on the self-righteous side. And so he's asking and saying, I know I'm going to heaven. Y'all know those kind of people in church. I know I'm going to heaven, Grant. But what about all these other people that don't dress and act like me that have all their problems? And so he was really asking it from that tone. And so Jesus is going to get a little smart aleck with the dude. And he's going to say, in essence, stay in your lane, bro. Notice what he says. Strive to enter through the narrow door. Now, if you've been a Christian for a while and you grew up in church like I did, you've heard people say is that broad is the way and narrow is something, you know, that anyway, you, you, yeah, uh, so you, it's easier for you to say it. Anyway, and so uh, we've heard that phrase. We're going to redefine that a little bit differently today because it's in the text. And so here's what uh, the Jewish people thought, and, and, and can you imagine now, so here's what the guy asking the question is thinking, I am a Jew. And what they believe is because you were a Jew and you were part of God's chosen nation, you hear me this morning, you were part of God's chosen nation, then you were automatically sort of going to get ushered into heaven because you were just part of the, of the good crowd and that everybody else, you know, how are they going to get to heaven? So is there going to be all of us going to heaven? And Jesus goes, oh, no, 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 no. You need to strive, and we're going to define what that means because this is an entrance and you need to hear me this morning hang with me but can I stop before we get there and, and explain what Jesus meant can I apply it to us today all right now we're getting a little rough you ready because and but it's just part of this and this is what I'm called to do because I'm not called to make you happy my job is to stir you and remind you just like Jesus was doing the boldness here I don't want you to go to hell and that means confrontation, and that means having hard conversations. And that's what we're doing here this morning. So the truth of the matter is, is Jesus looks at him, he goes, it has nothing to do, dude, with the fact that you're a Jew and your nation. May I say to us this morning, you're looking at me, just because you come to this church, just because you're white, just because you watch Fox News, and just because you vote Republican does not get you automatically into heaven. Yeah, I'm going there. And just because, now listen, I'm conservative, I have my views. Politically, and just to so make sure that I offend all of you all, I don't really am happy with either political party, to be quite frank with you. I'd love to start my own. What I wind up doing is voting for the lesser of two evils and most of the time, and I think that's the best thing you can do. But what I'm trying to argue this morning is that we get into this place that we think somehow because of our political views that this is what's going to turn the country around. And I appreciate your line of thinking, but I'm telling you, that's not going to save you and your family. That's not going to save our country. What we need to do is to bring up and pray that God will call righteous men and women and put King Jesus back on the throne. Now, if I haven't offended you yet, let me try here. All the new people are going, I ain't coming back here again. But my job is not to make you happy. I don't want you going to hell. And so let me just tell you the hard truth. Just because you grew up in the South, oh, no, he didn't. <laughs> and I've raised three kids in the South. But I got news for you. My three boys are not going to heaven because they grew up in a preacher's house, because they grew up in this church, and you did an incredible job at coming alongside of my kids. I got to ordain my son in the ministry because they grew up in this house. 
But he didn't grow up in this house because he was a good southern kid, because Belinda and I were good parents, or because we taught him right from wrong. He grew up because one day he realized his only hope of heaven was Jesus Christ. And he grew up, and he got saved, and the blood was applied, and he followed and fell in love with Jesus. My job is not to raise good kids so that you'll brag on the preacher's kid. My job was to point them through all the hell they went through growing up here that there's only one that can help them and to put your trust in Jesus. And so, ladies and gentlemen, you know how we think. I want my kids. I'll, let me see if I can do a southern act. I want my kids. <laughs> Forget it. I can't do it. I want my kids to get a good education, graduate with that piece of paper from state or Ole Miss, and I want them to have a successful job. And quite frankly, I've pastored some of y'all that did this. I got news for you. Getting your kid a great education, getting your kid a diploma, getting your kid to be a good, charming, polite Southern kid. And I've watched too many of them. You hear me this morning? I've watched too many of them be bubble wrap and protected and grow up and leave the kingdom of God, faith, and church. Because being a good Southern charming person will only land you in an everlasting hell. You need Jesus, and your kids need Jesus. Jesus spoke boldly to the man. And notice he uses the term strive here. All right, Pastor Terry, so thank you all for staying. Uh, half, no, they stayed in the first service too. All right, now that I've ticked everybody off, Here's why, because Jesus spoke boldly to this man. I'm not just trying to be a, a, you know, a jerk here this morning. This is exactly what was going on in the text. This man thought his righteousness was because of who he was. And Jesus says, you've got to strive. Now, in the original language here, he's talking about, and it's used in the terms that we would not be able to translate into English, but it's called an indicative uh, plural noun here. And what he's saying is, is he's saying you've got to make an effort to join Jesus's, to join the Father's family. So he's saying you've heard how to, to be saved, but you've got to make a conscious effort. And, and the, the analogy, if you will, is if an athlete in training, and, and, and they got it because the, the term he was using would, would have resonated in their culture. Jesus was saying the word strive means you've got to discipline yourself that everything else you think will make you a happy person, everything else that you want out of life, you've got to be willing to give it up, Lynn, to follow Jesus. You get where I'm going now, why I said all the rough stuff? Because you've got to be willing to give up your ideals, your way of thinking, and your values to follow Jesus. And now, here's the really cool part of the story that we, again, have often misinterpreted. He says, you've got to enter the narrow door. Uh, so what does that mean? In their culture and time, they got it. Because in their culture and time, if you were not a part of their family, you didn't get in your house. They had to be like Zach and Kayla, where they got all these 20 folks that are all part of that family. And, you know, anyway, and so, and so you didn't get to go into their house unless you were family. You all know what I'm saying? And so on the outside, you, you had your front door. Now get this. This is the visual I want you to get here in the text. You had a front door. Everybody came through the city, and you lived right on the city street, and so in your little village, everybody came through and knock on the door. And you didn't let them in. It was like when the Jehovah's Witness... <laughs> oh, shoot, I shouldn't have said that. Anyway, and so they knock on the door, and there they are, and they're waiting to get in, and you're like, you know, you, saw, you all know what y'all do. And so uh, you're not answering that door. And so it's, you know, they're, anyways. And so it's sort of that way, though. And so they got it all set up where they're not wanting the people to come through and they're knocking on the door. And Jesus says, the only people that get into our house, to the kingdom of God, is through the narrow door. And here's what they had in their house building. Is they didn't let anybody else through the front door. It was just there for, you know, beauty. 
Only family knew where the side entrance was to their home. So family knew where the side door was at. And the only way you got into their home is you had to know the family. So here's what he's saying, Shelton. He's saying the only way you're going to get into heaven is you have to know my family. And my family is my son, Jesus. The only way you get into the kingdom of God is through my family, Abram. My family is my son, Jesus. He's the one that's going to show you the door. He is the door. And the only way that you and I get to go to heaven is to know the family. And Jesus introduces us to the Father. And we're invited into the Father's house through the narrow door by the family. And his name is Jesus. Somebody say amen. And so this morning, you realize, how do you get to heaven? You strive to know Jesus. Jesus is the right door. Here's what Dr. Charles Swindoll says. So don't get mad at me. Here's what he writes about our American version of the Jewish hypocrisy. Jesus never offered people the following message. Look, write this down. Just be sincere, simply adhere to the religion of your choice, and think positively. Could you just hear those tones about God? Just look deep inside of you. That's good enough to get you into heaven. Now, Jesus says, I need you to strive. I need you to make an effort to accept my son. And by the way, hear me this morning. I love you. And I know I've said a lot of tough stuff here today, but in the boldness, I don't want you to go to hell. And here's what Jesus, I think, is saying. And he was bold when he said it to this guy. You realize that God doesn't send anybody to hell? Look at me. God doesn't send anybody to hell. You and I, will wind up in hell when we reject his son invitation to come to the family. If you reject his son, make it personal, then God has no choice. He can't let you enter the front door. You only get in to the house of the family of God by receiving and accepting his son. So he says to you and I this morning, and here's what Dr. Daryl Bach, great theologian, New Testament scholar, says to the point. We simply enter into relationship with him, aware of our sins and shortcomings. This is so good. This is how you get saved today. And our need for God's salvation. What? That Jesus has achieved for us. Oh, isn't that good? There's nothing you and I do, Russ, to earn our salvation. Jesus has truly, let's sing it, Tanner, paid it all. We respond to what God has done for us, and then we make striving as our top priority to follow the one who saved us. Dr. Bach nails it. That's what I'm trying to argue with you guys today. All right, I'm not sure that you guys are all still getting this, all right? So I don't want to lose you all here this morning. Uh, So I I want you all... um, Right? How many of y'all love to go on cruise ships? Anybody in here love to go on cruise ships? So how many of you wish, instead of listening to me right now, you was on a cruise ship? Okay. Uh, let me just turn it around. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and so let me just turn it around. I wish I was on one right now, too. So pff, booyah. All right. Uh, so and, and, and here's why I love cruise ships. You know why I love cruise ships? And I know why Belen loves them. And I, lo- I know she loves to go into these really cool exotic places and you get to see the beaches and you get to see the culture and, you know, and that's wonderful. And, uh, and you get to go to shows at night and you get to dress up for the big deal and you get to go, you know, do all those kind of things. And then the pictures. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> do you know how much those things cost? I got a flipping iPhone, babe. You know, we're talking... Print it off, 33, 33 cents. No, we need $72 for one photo. You know, uh, and, and so the whole thing kills me. But when you go on a cruise, this is the reason you go on a cruise, Bobby. Because you get to eat. And not only do you get to eat, but they got an ice cream machine. All you can eat, ice cream. The whole week. Rumor has it. 
I'm not confirming or denying that a local Baptist pastor in Tupelo ate, on a five-day cruise, 18 ice cream cones in five days. Will not confirm or deny the reality of that story. (laughs) But it was so flipping good. And so here's the story. You're at a cruise, and you get to eat, you know, 24-7. And so the captain comes on, and he says, so you with me? We're on the cruise together. We're having a good time. Ladies are doing their thing and, you know, all this stuff. And so the captain comes on, and he announces. Mid-afternoon, he says, listen, we've, you know, something's happened with the ship. It's going to go down, and it's going to sink. Everybody run to the lifeboats and get in a lifeboat. Now, you're right in the middle of second lunch. It's about 2.30. They don't serve supper till 5. You, you, you don't want to starve. So you're at second lunch at 2.30. And you're just eating away. And you're right there by the ice cream machine, you know. And so you're just sitting there taking it all in. And he announces that the ship's going down. And you got a curious decision to make. Okay. If I got to go down, I'm going to go happy, you know. And so you got a curious decision to make. And so everybody's scattered. Belen's argued and she's yelled at me and she's got on the lifeboat and I'm still going, you know, I got to get one more. And so anyway, and so I'm still sitting there, Neil, by myself. And, and, and then me and the other fat people and, and we're just sitting there, you know, looking at the ice cream machines and, and we're like, you know, you know, I don't. And the captain says, this is the final call. You either get in the lifeboat or you go down with the ship. And at that point, you have to make a decision. Now, hear me. Do I really believe the captain is telling the truth? And I said all that humorously this uh, this morning to say this. You see, what it comes down to when you walk out of this room this morning, you have to decide If you believe, if Captain Jesus is telling you the truth and answering the man's question here in Luke, this is the way to heaven and this is how you avoid hell. You have to decide this morning, are you going to trade in the life that you're living? Man, I'm just trying to be happy in this life. I want all the ice cream in my life. I want my kids to grow up and be happy. I want my cars. I want my house. I just want to be happy in life. Are you willing this morning, are you willing this morning to walk away from your ideal of what will make you happy, just like me on the ship, enough to believe the captain says, the ship is going down. This world is sin-cursed. You're never going to find the happiness and the joy you're looking for on this planet. It is on the other side. Now you make the decision today, I'm going to get in the lifeboat and go with Jesus. And it's just that simple. Are we willing to strive to enter the narrow door through our relationship with Jesus Christ. That leads us to the second point, much quicker. You need to hurry before it's too late. Not only is that good advice for you and salvation today, but that's really good for my message and the preacher. So let me just tell you, when the master of the house has risen and shut the door, you begin to stand, look at verse 25, outside and knock on the door. Lord, open up to us. Lord, and he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. And they got it in their Jewish culture, uh, in, the, in the villages that, that, that Jesus was speaking to that, that day on this occasion. Y'all live in a small town. Y'all remember in the day when small towns, uh, when it got dark, they rolled up the town. And uh, he rolled up the doors, everything shut off. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. There's a day coming. Hear me, friend, this morning. There's a day coming when the door to the family will no longer be open. The day is coming, hurry, 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 and get inside God's house. Number three, everybody talking about heaven, and I know this is not good English, all you English teachers and school teachers, email 
Taylor, not me. And everybody's talking about heaven ain't going. And I I say it that way intentionally because I want you to understand this morning that a lot of us are talking about the joys of heaven, but the truth of the matter is is that that, that we have to know Jesus. Now, here, Brian, I want to go straight to the verse. I want you to pull this up. But notice what he says in the text in verse 27, and then we're going to come back to the phrase. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of, of, of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now get this, and he says, when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the prophets of the kingdom of God, but yourselves are cast out. Folks, y- you want to talk about the boldness of Jesus? You say, well, Pastor Terry, you were right up to the line today. I'm telling you, I don't even cut a chase to how Jesus was trying to get your attention, and that's what I'm trying to do this morning, because if I can get your attention uh, t- to understand what's on the line, Jesus looks at that arrogant, full of himself, self-righteous Jewish man, and he says to him, you think I'm rough? He looks at him and boldly says to him, you see, you think because of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this is rough. He says, you're going to stand before God at judgment, and you're going to see into the kingdom at that judgment moment, and what you're going to see at that moment is your heroes, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob enjoying heaven. And then at that moment, I'm going to close the door and cast you into hell because you did not receive my son. That's a bold move and statement. And why did he do it, Rebecca? Because he didn't want them to go to hell. Which leads me to where I want to close this morning. And actually, let me back up. Let me give you one last phrase that we're going to discuss in connect groups tonight from Dr. Charles Swindoll that makes the case. In truth, his anger, this is how you get saved, guys. In truth, his anger, write this down, is filled with grace. His mercy has no limits. He has provided a means of salvation that is open to all, completely free. Now, here's the point. Yet the consequences of sin remain a real danger to those who choose not to receive his gift. Do you understand why Jesus and I are being so harsh here this morning? But I want to close by the brokenness. Not only was Jesus bold, but he was also broken. And, uh, and he didn't do it arrogantly. And this is so important for us in the church today. Notice what he says in verse 34 of our text. O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to. And again, a very harsh, bold statement. How often I would have gathered you, now notice he shifts immediately to the brokenness, gathered you as children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. But you were not, and you could hear Jesus weep as he looked over these Jewish people who were going to kill him. I tried to save you. You rejected me because you were not willing. Folks, hear me this morning. Jesus was not arrogant. I know I've been tough with you, but it's not out of arrogance today. It's out of brokenness that I honestly don't want to see anybody go to hell. And if I have to jar you to get there, that's okay, because it was okay with Jesus, because Jesus loves you, and he wants to bring you just like the mother hen, into the family through the door of Jesus to love on you all. Why are we rejecting that? Why are we running to everything else? And Jesus' point was, is don't become so self-righteous that you can't feel brokenness. Can I talk to my church for just a second? If you and I become so full of ourselves, and I have been there as the pastor of this church, that I judge other people. If you are not experiencing the brokenness of revival of what's going on in this country and in this church, and all you're still seeing is everybody else's faults and judgmental, I want to tell you, you're not broken at all because you're still full of self-righteousness. You can't be broken 
and be proud of who you are. It's not about you. Can I give you a quick illustration of this? And I think this is a danger in the church. Always has been, and I've been there. Belinda and I were uh, in North Carolina last week. And uh, we were ordaining, uh, in a cool moment, our oldest son into the ministry, and I preached twice. And so we gathered, and we were there with Courtney, our daughter-in-law. But most importantly, all the other stuff was minor. We were there with our, old, uh, with our oldest grandson, Matthew. And, uh, and that was the cool part. And so we took Matthew to lunch, and Matthew wanted to eat at Culver's. Not a big fan, but Matthew wanted to eat at Culver's, and so guess where we went? grandparents we went to Culver's and so we were there and uh, uh, and so Belen and Aaron uh, our oldest son is standing at the drink machine and we've ordered and me and Courtney and Ma I'm with Matthew and we're at the table waiting on them to get the drinks and this very churchy family families come in about 15 to 20 of them and they're all at the church dare I say that I used to do and they're looking down on us because I'm wearing what I'm wearing. I washed it from last Anyway, and so I'm just wearing, you know, uh, what I preached in like this. But they're wearing three-piece suits, James. They're slick to the nines. They're real good church people, not like you all. Y'all messy. Je he's wearing jeans, doggone, and a T-shirt. Anyway, and so they're, uh, uh, they're, uh, uh, they're, they're at church. And, and, and again, I'm not trying to be ugly here, but, but they had that attitude, and I've had that attitude that I'm better than you. And so they literally, at the drink fountain, are looking down at Belen and Aaron, and they picked the wrong lady. And, uh, you know, and because she wasn't wearing a dress, she was wearing, you know, jeans, and um, been to church. And they were like, Ugh. and so they started talking about the Asbury revival. Because this is what happens when we get full of ourselves. And they said, you know, I don't really believe that that's a real revival. So somehow they're better than all the rest of us that from North Carolina, they can determine whether God's doing a revival in Kentucky or not. And this is the next words that came out of their mouths. And they're old school, and I've been there guilty of this, King James Version. They said, I've heard that they, and I'm quoting, they have a bunch of sodomites and everybody under 40 is not, I don't even know what that term is, but if you grew up in old school church, you know what that term means. They're talking about homosexuals are leading the worship service, and they're a bunch of sodomites that's on that campus, and that's all that's going on there. And Belen could feel herself just boiling red. And thankfully, my son lived with her for 18 years, Shelly, and so Aaron said, Mom. over what God is doing in this church and be happy and excited and you don't have to have everything line up for you. You don't even have to agree with everything that's going on with those people but I'm telling you, when Holy Spirit moves and He's not using what they were calling it, how in the world do they know what they're even talking about? I'm telling you, you better be careful of your judgmental attitude because that's not Jesus. Jesus was broken. So boldness and brokenness we're not better than anybody else. We're not better than you. How do we develop this balance between boldness and brokenness? I'm just going to give you these and we'll walk out. Number one, you bring pleasure to God when you love him above everything else. Look at me this morning with all due respect. How many of you are so determined you're going to serve? And man, we need you guys to serve. But listen to me this morning. Stop it. If your priority in this church is to serve on stage or anywhere else rather than spend time falling in love with Jesus, your priority is called to worship. If your backside is not in this house and you make a priority, Jesus doesn't care how much you do. What he cares is that you're in love with him. And you gather in his house to fall in love with him and to worship him, Miss Marie. And so that's where we begin with the priority. And here's the statement. You have to know him to love him. That comes before your service. Number two is you bring pleasure to God when you trust him 
completely. When I moved here 21 and a half years ago, we barely had enough uh, food on the table. We moved into a parsonage. Thank God for Tupelo Free Will. You all took us in. We didn't have jack squat. We had three kids. We were just barely trying to keep our nose above water. We barely had clothes for the kids. But you know what? 21 years ago, we didn't want to move to Mississippi, but God told us to move to Mississippi. We packed up. We came here, and we trusted that God would somehow provide for us. And I'm telling you, 21 years later, God has not only provided, but look what he has done because we were obedient to put our trust in Jesus who loves us. Number three is you bring pleasure to God when you obey him wholeheartedly. You don't hear me this morning. You don't get to pick and choose what you obey God with. To go into this family door, it's everything. And you bring pleasure to God when you fulfill his purpose. So what is his purpose for your life and mine this morning? You know what, Jesus kept it really simple. Jesus says, follow me and make disciples. Who make disciples? This past week, um, and every week, it's Thursday night, I was walking out of here about 6.30 to go home and eat. And I'm, I'm a later person, so it's, uh, this is what we do at our family. And so um, oftentimes, this is how I will leave our campus. And I love this. This is what God is doing here at Connect Church. I'll go by the conference room, and Miss Deb will be in there, uh, one of our ladies in our church, and she'll be discipling ladies. And she started a study through the book of Ruth. And she's discipling a group of ladies in our church. I'll go by another room, and Michelle Birmingham will be in there, and she'll be discipling a group of ladies through the Gospel of John. And I just grin and smile and think this is what we've been called to do. This is God showing us how to be bold and broken. I go by another room, and oh, Terry Brooks will be in there with a group of guys, and, and he's got Hector and the other guys in there, and Dustin Huey, and he's just pouring into them, and they're becoming disciples who make disciples. I go by another room, and, and I'll watch, you know, others of you guys that, oh, Kena will have her group, and she's cool and hip, so she sits over here with her group by the coffee area, and, you know, and they drink coffee because they're cool. And anyway, and so where's she at? And anyway, and so they're doing their whole discipleship thing, and, and then, um, but Thursday night was a really cool night. Bold and broken. And I walk out of here at 6.30 Thursday night. And I hear a group of ladies and they're reading scripture. And it's not just a group of ladies. And I love this. Every girl in this discipleship group was 30 and under. Most of them were in their 20s. And they're all married. And Kirsten's leading her D group. And guess where they were at, Tony? They were in John chapter 4. And I'm watching as Keely and Carly and Kirsten and then Alyssa Bugs is reading out of John 4. And I'm listening to her read. And she's reading in John 4 when you remember the woman is at the well. And she's reading and she says these words and it just echoed in the chamber. And it was, honestly, it was a surreal moment. And she just is reading in that voice and hearing a female. And she just said, and then the woman, and Jesus said unto the woman, that I have food to eat and drink that you know not of. And I thought, what a beautiful picture of the sermon today. You remember who the woman was? The woman was boldly in her arrogance, in her terrible condition of her morality. This prostitute boldly, shows up at the well and starts talking to a man named Jesus. But by the time Jesus gets done talking with her, and this is what happened, Keely, in the stories Thursday night, is by the time she gets done talking with, Jesus gets done talking with her, she was broken. She was broken, and she received Jesus as her Savior, and she goes back to her whole village, and the entire village comes out and gets saved because, you see, that's what God is offering us with his kingdom. He wants us to be bold and broken so that we can learn how to be like Jesus. And that's exactly what discipleship is pouring into these four young girls. Bold and broken like Jesus. We we stand with me this morning. We're going to sing a verse of invitation. If you need to come this morning, 
would you step out and come and say, I choose Jesus. That gate is going to be closing soon. And the only people that are going to get to heaven are family. <laughs> know Jesus. And he introduces us to the Father, the narrow way, the family entrance. If you've never entered the family entrance today, your politics, your pride, your goodness, your southern culture, none of that is going to do you a dime's worth of good at judgment. The only thing that is going to matter is did you receive the Father's Son and did you strive follow him and make disciples and make disciples as we sing a verse of invitation would you come and let our counselors pray over you so you can follow Jesus thank you for listening to the sermon playback podcast from Connect Church in Tupelo Mississippi Connect Church has two worship services on Sunday mornings at 9am and 1030 We sincerely hope you'll visit. For more information and details, or if you have any questions you'd like answered, please visit our website at www.triconnect.church. Again, that's www.triconnect.church.